1: visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k if you missed that don't worry we have it in the description box of this episode so click that too and again big shout out to sprout solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork reclaim it with their payroll starter now let's begin this episode
0: The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by B21, a platform which helps you start your journey with cryptocurrencies. Visit b21.io hustleshare hustle share and get $2 upon signing up. Also by Ideaspace, a nonprofit supporting innovation and technopreneurship as a path to nation building. IdeaSpace runs an annual startup competition. For more information, make sure to sign up for their newsletter at ideaspacefoundation.org/connect. Also powered by 917 Ventures. Got a startup idea? Join Velocity by 917 Ventures, Globe Telecom's venture builder program that aims to support entrepreneurs by providing up to 50,000 US dollars funding, product and tech development operational support, and access to the globe network. Unlock the globe unfair advantage. Apply now at velocity.917ventures.com. I always try to emphasize, because now companies always come to me and say, we want to innovate,
2: Oh, we want to innovate. Oh, okay, so yeah, And my question is then, how willing are you to fail? And if they
0: say, we don't want to fail, we don't want to fail at all. We're just going to innovate and succeed, right? I have to say, you know. Welcome to Hustle Share. The podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now, here's your host, Ronster bae-yong Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle
1: Share Podcast. We are still in Women's Month. So the past couple of weeks, we've been featuring hustlers of different sorts of sizes, different... Genres and different fields, that they do. but here we go right into the core of what they, what I do, what what's in my geeky robotic heart. Because at the end of the day, though I talk like this and I talk talk very inappropriately, I am a geek by default. And, uh, AI and machine learning will always be a big part of my life because through that, through my company Chatbot PH, I was able to get my. First win in the startup life. <laughs> uh, right there. But before I get carried away, I wanna welcome our guest for today, the queen of all robots <laughs> in the Philippines, Mr. C of Thinking Machine. Those are our robotic bots clapping for you steph welcome to hustle Share.
2: thanks ronster nice to be here um i and all the thinking machines appreciate the warm welcome to your Sentient. podcast
1: that is vision if you're if you're still not over one division by then this is the creator of a lot of one of the, the visions out there but again steph i'm a big fan. i still remember the first time i met you and this was Digicon, is it 20, shit, I don't even know, 2018,
2: 2017? Don't hate us now.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, it's all good. We always regenerate anyway, right? Transcendence. Um, we we respawn. But at the end of the day, I remember having, being part of, a, of this uh, panel in Digicon. And you know Digicon in the Philippines, right? Digicon yeah. is the legit geek um, um, meetup. And I'm this dude who probably didn't know shit about shit, and I have right beside me is step C. <laughs> I had mega imposter syndrome that day, so I'll never forget. I was like, oh shit, I'm just gonna fucking wing this and make it layman's term because I cannot compete with the jargon. I have no idea what you're talking
0: about. <laughs> oh, now
2: you were doing really well, though. Come on, okay. I feel like uh, I'm scammering like me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but Steph, uh, before we get carried away, sorry to cut you off, but I need to ask you the million-dollar question, Steph. What's your hustle?
2: All right. Um, so, hi everybody. I'm Stephanie C, and my uh, my hustle is helping people make good decisions. Uh, because uh, if you think about it, uh, you, I actually do think that there are ways. That people can make substantially better decisions for themselves using frameworks. in In life, there's often no one correct decision. There's no one perfect decision. But uh, there's ways to help make your day better, to help like frame your decision so that you know you make many, many decisions each day. and if you just like if you are two percent better at the decisions you make on a daily basis, your lifetime, the, the lifetime benefit to you is compounding. It's huge. It's massive. Um, and I think this is true of people. Um, and I think this is particularly true in organizations. So my company's hustle, Thinking Machines, we help organizations make good decisions with data. Because think about the way organizations typically make decisions, right? And like, I'm going to give you a very specific example. The Department of Transportation and the Metro Manila Development Authority making decisions about uh, um, traffic coding throughout Met- Metro Manila. Correct. So this is a decision that affects the 15 million people who live in the like the bigger Metro Manila area who Correct. live here and commute in and out every day, so any decision made about the roads affects all of them. Do you know how many people are involved in making those decisions? How many? Less than twenty. That Maybe at the Drake end, it's Konyang. just like five days. It gives
1: me the creeps. Five,
2: <laughs> five people. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you think about it, right? An organization is not a monolithic. It's not a huge entity. It's a
0: right.
2: a, a decision which affects you that comes from inside the Department of Transportation probably comes from a thirty-minute subcommittee meeting, yeah. where inside that subcommittee, some analyst who some analyst. Um, spent two weeks gathering information, two weeks, are uh, trying to like ask questions. Maybe Traitor- creating <laughs>
1: matrix, matrix, matrix S of whatever shit. Yeah, oh and God. if this
2: analyst doesn't have good information, this analyst has to go around asking for. Uh, um, so right now, what we do when we measure how many cars cross roads at different times of day or how many, wow. uh, how much traffic we have, right? An MMDA guy or girl with a clicker will stand there with a clipboard and a clicker. Are fucking and kidding every me? A car crosses, 2021? It, yeah, when the car crosses, they'll click. Shit. And at the end of the day, they look at how many clicks they have on we the. They're so fucked. <laughs> Put it on the, white bo- on the whiteboard, the, on their uh Whatever, their notepad, clipboard. clipboard. Yeah. Clipboard. Mm-hmm. They submit it to a central office. Somebody um, somebody does data entry right. for all the clipboards into an Excel mm-hmm. sheet, if you're lucky. Sometimes what happens to an Excel sheet is that when their boss asks for a report, they'll send a PDF of that Excel sheet.
1: Oh, <laughs> I did it in hard copy.
2: Yeah, and then it goes all the way up to this committee meeting where, where they're trying to decide. Okay, are we going to bring back? Um, are we going to bring back um, um, number coding? How how is number coding doing, right? And so there is that information that makes it to that meeting. There's maybe fifteen twenty people in this room who are pretty senior, right. and the most senior people after the presentation, you know what they do? They pull out their cell phones and they say, you know, oh. my really good friend. My uncle, my cousin, texted me, saying that in front of our subdivision, there's always a traffic jam. So can we look at our subdivision and see how bad it is there? And my um, my fraternity brother told me that in this other country, they do X, Y, and Z. So why don't we do that? And um, often that's the basis of a decision that affects 15 million people, right? Um, if somebody senior enough in the room um, was influenced by... Um
1: whatever they saw on YouTube, whatever, whatever they just saw, is.
2: whatever they just saw, whatever they just heard, whoever just texted in their Viber group, um, you end up with a subpar decision that affects millions and millions and millions of people. So how do you how do you get out of this pit, right? How do you get out of this trap? I think at the end it's culture change, right? Like changing our whole decision-making culture to be very oriented around how do you serve people, how do you create the right metrics, how do you move towards the better world that we all want to live in because these people all want to make good decisions. Everybody wants to make it. The desire is there. I think it's uh, more of a matter of how can we give people the right information and the right capabilities to make data-driven decisions and and be in these organizations. And that, Um,
1: by the way, Steph, is easily, I've been doing this for over two years now. Easily, that's the best. What's your hustle answer I've gotten?
0: Here <laughs>
1: <laughs> because people sometimes they go abstract, they go direct, and whatnot. But I, I, if this is the, the the president of how this conversation would be, I am so. Poked already. If you're not, that's not What's wrong with you? Because nobody could have explained what the hell he does or she does the way Steph did just now. So it's the auntie is really apt at this moment. So whoever's going to be after this episode, you got to do a better job because Steph just raised the bar. So <laughs> but before we get carried away, Steph, and I want to talk data, I want to talk decision making, but I want to understand first the origin story of a Steph C because I have to ride with you the. Hustle share time machine. We do have some machines here too, Steph. Okay, so just FYI, we Got have a sound machine. There. I Everything. love it, warping sounds and all. So before before you you help people, or at least are on the we came on the road of helping people make better decisions. Because still now, in 2020, 2021. You know, good luck to us, really. That's the good type luck. of decision-making we're trying to get. That's I the name of my new
2: podcast, Good Luck to
1: Us. Good, <laughs> l- <laughs> good Luck to Us by Steph <laughs> C. The episode art is just basically a cross-finger. Good luck to yeah, us.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah. my logo there.
1: <laughs> no, but I wanted to say, Steph, how, what, was it, what was it like growing up? Because again, for people that are able to create um, and contribute the way you do in science because that's the core of this all what was it growing what were your heavy influences and what were you doing growing up that contributed to to what you were trying to do today
2: yeah wow growing up that's that's far back um so i uh, i think i have a pretty typical background for somebody who's filipino chinese right mm-hmm. um uh, family, uh, started a small business. Okay. Uh, when I was young, I went to a very strict, very Catholic, very Chinese, very traditional, uh, Jude. elementary school. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know the same Jude <laughs> peeps. They say the same adjectives. <laughs> Thankfully, I, uh, I, I, did, uh, I, I still do really, uh, enjoy, um, I really enjoy like math. I really enjoy the fact mm-hmm. that there's like a clear, you know, there's a clear answer to everything, mm-hmm. um, and um, I got really lucky uh, when I went to college because I got in, uh, I got into Stanford in the US no um, and uh, maybe for, for people who, who don't know what that is, uh, it's it's one of the really, really best um, universities to go to for, for technology entrepreneurship um, because there's a whole ecosystem like the way they think and the way they talk in the US, it's so dynamic, it's yeah. so oriented around how do you give, college students a chance to start startups right
0: Right. Um,
2: it's almost the opposite of um, uh, funnily enough they are kind of ageist in that they'll discriminate against you if you're older than 35 but if you're like 20 yeah isn't that crazy it's the opposite of the Philippine like very traditional very Chinese Catholic system where uh, you know the older you are the more uh,
1: the more ripe you are
2: Per se. Yeah. Right. Um, and the Silicon Valley mindset and, and Stanford's like right in the middle of all these and tech have companies, all a beautiful campus startups. too, by the way. Uh, but you don't notice it because you're so busy studying. Uh, <laughs> 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 you know, it's really a campus, is for the, it's for the visitors. Right,
1: honestly. right. Got it.
2: Um, but there was this like real orientation around, um, the, I really learned there, uh, because everybody mm-hmm. lived this idea that it's fine to try things and fail that um, mm. it's actually kind of noble and uh, respectable to uh, try a new endeavor. And if it doesn't work out, the question they ask is really, what did you learn from it? Like very sincerely. And actually uh, people trust you more if you've tried and failed at a couple yes. of things, because it proves that you have the guts to do it. You have the resilience to bounce back that um, really you uh, can learn uh, that you really tried something different and you learn how to test your assumptions and that you, uh, uh, just um, are able to to innovate that way. And then that's one thing about innovation that I always try to emphasize because now companies always come to me and say, we want to innovate. Oh, <laughs> we want to innovate. Oh, okay, so yeah, and my question is then, how willing are you to fail? And if they say, we don't want to fail, we don't want to fail oh. at all. We're just going to innovate and succeed, right? I just say, no, <laughs> it's not right. Re- no, no. It's not okay. a straight
1: path, my it's man. It's not a
2: straight path. Mm-hmm. Actually, innovation means you try 10 things, and maybe eight will fail, right. uh, and it's really about the two that succeed and uh, uh, that yet get you get you to that next place. So, so i failed a couple of times, right? You know, if we're talking time machine, um, the very first startup I started, um, I was a college senior, and two friends and I. Uh, we oh my gosh, this is like a little bit embarrassing when I think back to like our, mm-hmm. our deck and what we sold. So, um, we wanted to build a um, uh, the company was called Phenomlist, and so we wanted to build a media website that featured the most phenomenal people in Silicon Valley.
1: Whoa, um, and yeah. what year was this? Uh, this, this is was, for context is this oh, the rise of Facebook
2: 2009? This was 2009. Okay. That was the
1: think- uh, year that the social network went out is it or right at that area
2: oh maybe maybe i remember it was when tech wrench was first getting big where like tech media started um, growing Mm -hmm. um and so we wanted to uh we wanted to build something and so uh two of them were journalists and i was the uh, i was the chief technology officer built that website uh ruby on rails hosted on wow now.
1: you were doing rails yeah. in 09 <laughs> what version um, of rails were you even working on
2: i mean was it even rails i, I remember at the time it was django was still being sold as a being wow. marketed as a project to help um, you launch like a Journalism websites or blog sites, uh, it's Django was not like where it is right now, but um, I, mm. I, yeah. Ruby Gems uh, wow. trying to figure out how to do that how to like host it oh, uh, I, I think I really remember that S3 um, Amazon Web Services was right. very new at the time like S3 yep. uh, had just come out Bally, clunky, yeah so I was like oh I'll just do something bare metal on Linode <laughs> and now nobody knows what the heck that is oh
1: what is um, Linode or Bluehost <laughs> whatever the fuck yeah. that is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um some venture capitalist was crazy enough to like give us um I think almost two hundred it was a huge amount of money, like two hundred thousand dollars to no see funding. Yeah. So three three you need them on three idiots, but like three very smart green but ones. very inexperienced green yeah, three wow. very green kids. Um and embarrassingly enough, I, I just like laugh thinking about this. I'm, I'm very sure that I, I have a picture from our launch party, which we held in the backyard of our uh, Venture Capitalist's uh, house. Uh, And and, uh, I'm pretty sure we had an ice sculpture of a unicorn that we paid a couple hundred dollars (laughs) to have a unicorn ice sculpture in that backyard.
1: (laughs) That's as valley as valley can come. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's a little like looking back i'm just like kind of like put my head in my hands and i was like oh my god that was me <laughs> i would have
1: looked for ehrlich on that party by the way if, i'm pretty sure he was yeah.
2: there <laughs> yeah i couldn't watch the first episode of uh, the first season of silicon valley when it came out because i was like oh god this is too real eh? ooh, <laughs> it hurts this is too ooh, ooh, it I'm, hurts. I'm laughing <laughs> but you know, it's, it hurts. <laughs> Um oh man but but that startup we didn't have a business we didn't really have a business model this was the era of you know build it and then they'll come then you figure out your business model yep. uh, and I think um um after maybe half a year um i uh, I quit the startup uh, I found uh, a contractor who could replace me uh, I quit the startup on good terms with my co-founders because I just couldn't figure out like um directionally right like how were we going to? be revenue generating. I really didn't like, and I still don't like the idea of uh, going into these constant like cycles of VC fundraising. Yeah. Uh, so that was, start. that was, I would, I would kind of consider that to be like fail, fail number one, that that startup okay. did shut down uh, a couple of years later. Uh, I'm a little bit afraid to like type in the URL these days. Cause I, I'm pretty sure like some, Russian porn site bought it and <laughs> <laughs> it like redirects nope. to like nope, nope. okay mm-hmm. just don't no, try yeah, we'll
1: just take our word for it whatever it is just yeah. search at uh, your own no. risk search at your own <laughs> risk <laughs> not right? gonna be in the show notes don't worry
2: uh, the, the second uh, startup, uh, so I decided, um, you know, when I started the company, I realized that there are so many things I didn't know. Uh, to be like the founder slash CTO, ooh, what a nice sounding title, right? right. Uh, but in practice, there's so much uh, that you don't know about starting a company that you only um, understand the space of what you don't know when you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the second time around, I really wanted to learn from uh, I really wanted to like be on a team that I thought had a lot of potential, but I didn't want to be the founder. I wanted to be a re- very early employee and like learn from uh, the founding team. Um, so I joined a startup doing B two B SaaS uh, software wow. uh, called Wildfire Interactive. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. Right, uh, right as I was quitting uh, this first startup, mm-hmm. and I was employee number twelve, and that mm. was super super fun. Um, we. Um, we grew from twelve people to four hundred people in two years, and Google wow. bought us uh, wow. for a lot of money. It was Google's biggest acquisition at that date. It was about three hundred fifty million dollars. Uh, amazing, what? amazing outcome for uh, uh, for for the wildfire team. Uh, we had some very good. I really respected our two founders. That's um, crazy. Yeah, um, and so
1: that was, employee number twelve. You probably had stock options.
2: I mean, not life changing, right? Because I was a baby. I was like, I was the baby of the team. Um, right. I was the most junior person in every sense of the word. I think uh, the first three months, um, I'm. I, I bought like I bought new desks from mm-hmm. IKEA. I can assembled <laughs> them in the office. You know, there's a birthday. See, so yeah, I'll run out. I'll get the birthday cakes. Uh, but the fun thing was like they trusted me to do also everything. So as my skills grew, mm-hmm. um, I became the de facto like a strike team leader inside of the company. So what that meant was every, every three to six months um, our CEO uh, or one of the VPs would come to me and say, Steph, we have this like fire happening in this part of the company. Can you just take whoever you need, go spend three months fixing it and then Mm you just come back and tell us. Uh, So it was great. Um, I built out um, our, um, I I built one of our uh, products in house. I worked, on our, uh, I worked to launch um, our marketing teams, like keynotes and all the, um, all the data interactives that got us like huge free press and TechCrunch. Wow. Uh Gartner mentions, yeah. like, yeah. I think, I think the nicest mention we ever got was like Wall Street Journal uh, cited us uh, on a couple of things. So it was like pretty nice. I have um, a I question. Also,
1: yeah. On on those things. Um, as a dev, right? You mentioned that your uh, first try, you were the CTO right off the yeah. bat. As a student, that's hard to do. Yeah. Right. Now, the second thing is, I've also worked with devs so much, and I know how important it is to have the right f- team or at least the right senior devs to walk you through that path uh, to get that thing. Now, I, my, my question is, how, imp- if you were, uh, again, uh, talking to a dev at the moment, how, what type of mentor do you look for to get to where you're supposed uh, to? Because you were very deliberate about the type of team you want to join. So, early, but not the CTO right away. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, how do you also maximize your that opportunity when you get it?
2: Totally, totally. So, um, um, kind of coming back to that uh, wildfire example, right? Um, where when you're an early employee at a startup, uh, you really should frame it, um, as um who can provide you with really great code review, not who's going to hold your hand through uh, writing your code, but actually not who's going to like teach you how to do these things, but who's going to code review you and then who's going to guide you and point the, you to the right problems uh, to solve. Uh, because that's a lot of what you do as an early employee and uh, that's how I grew a lot um, as a dev. Um, I do think that Oops!
1: Sorry. (laughs) No problem. Don't worry, Steph is safe. He's not being run over.
2: (laughs) 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 He's not in the streets. (laughs) That's not the sound machine. That's a a real car. Okay. There (laughs) you go. So, so, um, for for what I was doing, right? Like every project that I ran point on, Mm -hmm. um, I was technically the lead developer on it. Um, sometimes product managers, sometimes uh, lead dev, uh, sometimes data scientists. Um, and for every one of them, I'd have a different mentor to go to who would who could do the job themselves, right? Like um, uh, uh, my seniors at the company, every job that they give, g- had given me, like honestly, if one of them had the, the time, they could do it. Uh, but what I did for them was I allowed them to focus on other things. So what I needed from them and what they gave me is uh, I would bring them a plan, right? I would bring them, like, here's my best research. Here's my, like, best conception of how we're going to move forward. Here's my recommendation on how we should – here's the systems architecture. Here's the problem. Here's our users. Wow. Uh, here's my here's my concept. Like, what do you think? And the hour we would spend together on review was a perfect use of their time. They're, they had, like, no time. So they would just, like, rip some parts apart. They would, like, bring in new resources for other things. They'd show me, like, hey, um, think about uh, – uh, I think about using this library. I think about using mm. this tool. Um, this is going to cause you problems when this pro- when this product scales up, like thirty x. Like here's where the bottleneck is. Wow. Uh So that that's kind of foresight, right there. Yeah, that's what that's what a senior can really, really give you. And what you need to bring to the table is you need to try. You need to try. Even if you're wrong, the way you're wrong tells them a lot about how you are thinking and where you need to improve. And if everybody comes to it in the spirit of we're all trying to help each other and we're all trying to be better, then it's never it's ne- it never feels like a criticism, right? Instead, Got you're it. so thankful that um, they taught you these things, that they saw these things that you were doing wrong.
1: Got it. And that's true because a lot of the listeners when the year one of Hustle Share um, they were around 28, 34, probably our age for sure. We're, we're pretty close. And then since last year, it became younger. So a lot of oh. the, the 23 to 27 is the sweet spot, actually, the biggest listener ch- listenership chunk now. And these are the people that would probably want are in the process of doing their own startup or interested to go to join a, a budding startup. And that's absolutely correct. That was, that's what rings a bell. The best employees that a startups eventually promote to go C-level or whatever goes with is, is that ability to try. If you're going to join a startup, bring your fucking A game because you're not going to be like, "Oh shit, I'm tired." There's no room to be fucking tired. You have to be fucking go, uh, on the go all the time, right? Um, but look at the amount of growth in foresight and also the learning curve that steepens because of that immense pressure that you get over the short amount of time.
2: Yeah, agreed, agreed. You got to you got to bring your best. Um, you got to bring your best knowing that Maybe your best was really good wherever you came from, but now you're trying to play the next level of the game, right? So Mm. super respect that. Stakes
1: are higher. Okay. Now before we take our first break, I want to understand. So after a wildfire, was it Google straight up away? Because that's why well, how did you get to the Google opportunities? Because a lot there's not a lot of Googlers have that have ever been here on the show. Yeah, well I mean that have been here are now hustlers and entrepreneurs as well.
2: Yeah. Well, I kind of cheated right i didn't like really apply for a job at google because they bought wildfire and what they did is uh they offered a bunch of the key employees i think of the 400 people who um Word Wildfire, Google offered like a hundred of us jobs, and they gave us like these like pretty nice. Um, so if anybody goes through like an acquisition, yeah. um, one of the things that acquire will do is they'll offer you golden handcuffs, right? Uh, yeah. They'll offer you uh, bonuses and uh, equity over, but yeah, you, you have to earn it out over over right. a couple of years. That's it. Yeah, so that's um. So if you guys watch Silicon Valley, the TV show, um, I kind of rested and invested for a year. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> I went from working like a hundred hours a week to working like forty, and it felt like a vacation. It was nice.
1: <laughs> a lot of burritos and a lot of go, a lot of time going to the Mission District for sure. Get get yeah. get a lot of good. But I really Mexican
2: couldn't. Food. Uh, but I really couldn't do that after after three or four oh. months. I felt like recovered, and then yeah. I started learning all of Google's tooling, and that's where I got um, uh, that's where I got started with uh, being able to do you know machine learning on like big 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 uh, Google scale datasets. Uh, super super fun learning how to do infrastructure at a totally different level. Uh, but after a year after my first like vesting, I was bored, uh, so I decided to quit and uh, wow. look for my next opportunity, and that's how I ended up back home.
1: Wow. Now, before we take our first break, let's just describe again, walk us through what's it like working in the HQ, in the campus of Google, because a lot of people have been here, and done that, some tidbits and whatnot. But in your perspective, what's so enlightening in the Google experience that for some, have, for some reason, everybody's been, had, had, had a taste of that, ends up becoming an entrepreneur and become big problem solvers?
2: Ah, I think that's selection bias. I feel it's selection bias because you're right, only talking My to bad. hustlers, right? Okay. No, 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 no. That's... <laughs> um, um, you're only talking to hustlers, right? So when you talk to a hustler who was a former Googler, uh, notice how they're no longer at Google. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a huge tech organization right now. And um, a lot of the people who from Wildfire um, went into Google, um, we ended up splitting out into like two groups, right? Um, maybe... Okay. Uh, 30% of us have gone on to start our own things or to um, be early at other companies until I help them grow and scale. Okay. Uh, everybody else is still at Google. It's almost 10 years later. Need a mm. Sorry, sorry. That was uh, six years later. Uh, yep. Six years later, quite a lot of them are now Google mm. lifers. Like they are uh, wow. really part of that huge system. And I think Google at this point has 50,000 employees. Like something okay. crazy. When yep. we joined, it was only a... Uh, Fifteen thousand, uh, or wow. something like
1: that. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So, so again, walk us through that that experience. So again, uh, obviously, there's lifers now who, who stayed put and they love the Google life, you know, and, and all. But for those people that went out of the Garden of Eden, hmm. what, what what was implanted into them that eventually wanted them to either join another growing startup or start their own shit? What do you think would that those fa- key factors be?
2: Well, f- this could be. Um, I'm going to give you like the short answer because I think the long, b- the long answer uh, gets a lot more complex. And I'd like to, um, and that's something um, I might like write a blog post about it someday. But but the short <laughs> answer is, uh, uh, <laughs> well, the short the short answer is if you're somebody who goes into Google with a drive to learn. Um, Google is full of people who are deeply curious. And it's because the founders were PhD students, right? So they come yeah. in already. Uh, Larry, Larry and Sergey built a search engine, but they weren't intending uh, to build a. Um, ad company yep. right they wanted so, and, and they're also like very um uh they're very intellectual people and that's why they started all the moonshots uh groups yep. and that's why they ended up focusing their time and energy on the moonshots and they've left the google ceo chair to uh, professional to professionals right. um over over the years um so so culture kind of comes from the founders who they hire around them the what projects they 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 um Um, encourage. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was an organization that encouraged really smart people to come in and uh, solve interesting problems. Now, there's a lot of pros and cons about Google culture. One of the things I really don't like about them as a company is that they don't have a great maintenance culture. Uh, They'll Mm -hmm. build a lot of products and they'll just like randomly shut things down. Uh, And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think that's, uh, that's not something I like about Google, but it's part of who they are, right? Like they're people who always want to build new things. And they're not so much people who want to maintain. So Google Reader, I don't know if you guys like use Google Reader, but I was uh, working at Google when it got shut down and Mm. there was a ton of screaming around the world. And within Google, there there were only five engineers working on Google Reader. And so the management team decided that, hey, that's like, this product isn't worth it. It's not like serving a big enough market. There's only, you know, when you're at Google scale, 10 million users is not a lot. 10 million users is actually not a lot. So if wow. you have a product that only services 10 million people, like it might get shut down just because, uh, you know, it needs That's to serve the a billion people. That's the whole startup
1: here.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's, I was Shoot. like, like that'd be an amazing company for me to run. Right. Exactly. <laughs> 10 million customers. Wow. That sounds awesome. Uh, but but wow. at Google scale, um, not not really. So um, so I think like if you want to learn, right, there's so many people to learn from, and there's so many directions to take your curiosity. And some people um, – have this drive to learn and teach, but are uh, but maybe don't have, like, the risk factor, uh, the risk mm. the gene, right? So if you don't have the risk gene, you end up in academia or you end up working at a place like Google and staying there for 20 years. Uh, if you're a learner who has, like, the risk gene, um, you'll learn and then eventually you'll want to try it yourself, right? You want to, like, be your own boss, you... I yep. uh, don't want to get like 50 layers of approval to do something pretty straightforward. You want right. to make a product that serves 10 million people Makes and, and uh, give it like the proper love and care and attention it needs. Uh, so that's when you leave and start your own startup.
1: That is amazing. Now let's take our first break. And when we come back, let's talk about what Steph did when she came back home. But let's talk about the more after the break.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today.
1: Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. And we're back in the break. We're still with Seth C. Again, uh, came back after his life, or life in Google, and now explain this. That's probably the best explanation of what 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 a former uh, a former Googler uh, did. And again, there's bias. I didn't know I had bias uh, because <laughs> I only talked to ex Googlers, and I I forgot the other spectrum of Googlers for life. So that that's a great 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 explanation that you did you said before um, the break, but. Now I want to understand. So pretty sure you have that risk gene. That's why you you can't. But why why go back to the Philippines where you have such an amazing spree already of of good experiences in in the valley? Uh, What what made you come back and what what problem were you trying to solve?
2: Yeah. um, So I… The… There were a bunch of rational reasons why I wanted to come home, Um, but there were a couple of irrational, emotional reasons why I wanted to come home. Even Steph
1: C makes irrational decisions too. Oh yeah,
2: man. One one of the most interesting things that you learn in in psychology about how people make decisions is that um, people always have an emotive element in their decision making that's very strong. And it's the people who do the most insisting. It's the people who insist the hardest that it's purely logical, that there's no emotions involved. They're actually the ones who are making decisions most strongly based on their emotions. Shit, they just don't acknowledge me. it. <laughs> <laughs> and you just insisting
1: and persisting all the time.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you got to acknowledge when you're trying to make a decision. I really think it's important that you acknowledge like uh, the, the emotive factors. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's how you can like corral and control them. Um, mm-hmm. So when I was thinking about coming home, so um, um, my, my options at the time were number one, um, uh, See in the U.S., um, either work at uh, – at that point, I knew I didn't want to work at another big tech company, but uh, okay. I could start uh, – I could, I could take a swing at starting a startup myself or right. um, go back as an early uh, – but a more senior early employee this time, somebody who could, like, really help a startup, like, go from, uh, you know, um, uh, zero to one. Right. Um, or I could um, go back to the Philippines or to Singapore. Um, mm. And I mean, I'm, I'm super – I feel super lucky in life that um, – My, um, um, you know, some people like really need to support their families and Mm. thankfully like, um, I didn't need to do that. so I really was free to make a choice that was all about like my career and what I wanted to do. Got it. Um, so at that point, my parents obviously wanted me to come home. They, they were at the point at which they call me every week and say, don't you miss us?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's your in. Uh, That's your emotional anchor right there, the parent trap.
2: (laughs) The parent trap, the parent trap. And I had some very young siblings who I wanted to spend time with, so there's an emotional factor there. There Uh, Number two, there was a second emotional factor, which is I really didn't want to be part of the brain drain. You know, people talk about the brain drain all the time. I've seen it live and in action, and I really just thought like… Do I don't want to be part of the brain drain? And and there's like a bit of emotive uh, emotiveness there. Right. Um, the rational factors were okay. One, mm-hmm. um, I thought that the Philippines was a super underserved market uh, where uh, the things that I was quite good at, uh, data infrastructure, uh, data science, uh, didn't really exist here yet. And I really did think that, and I still think that data is an incredibly powerful trend. That cloud computing is an incredibly powerful trend. You know, until this day, I think um, something like 70%, like 70% of all IT spend is still on physical on-premise infrastructure, right? Like you'd think that everything's shifted to like cloud or I'm digital getting, now, but actually I'm getting no. a lot
1: of flashbacks because in chatbot, uh, PH, right? So what we do uh, our business model was we build we b- we build bespoke dev shop mm. style. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how many fucking bots we'd built on top of on-premise yeah. fucking infrastructure. Yeah. And we're trying to execute at fucking mm-hmm. social media level. How the mm-hmm. fuck do we do that?
2: Right? Mm-hmm. How do you even like? What yeah, are the APIs like these, you have to make? <laughs> these companies are going to say, like, okay, like, uh, yeah, build us a chatbot hosted on premise. And you're like, wait, how are you going to serve 1,000 <laughs> requests? Wait, exactly. do you want us to serve 1,000 requests per second? Like, excuse me, on, on what physical software? On whose server? Under what desk? Like, wow. Then, then, then masking tape, please don't
1: exactly. turn it off, you know? <laughs> Guarded by an IT playing
2: ML. <laughs> guarded, guarded <by. laughs> <On the side. laughs>
0: wow. Yeah, but, but that's true, also opportunity,
2: true. right? Yeah. If you can convince them to change, that's a big if, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought to myself, okay, um, I am going to give it five years. Uh, so wow. I gave myself a deadline. I said, you know, I come back to the Philippines, I do my absolute absolute best for five years, mm-hmm. and if at the end of five years I feel like things aren't um, uh, really going uh, things aren't moving the way I, I wanted to or uh, that I, I really feel that there's more opportunities like back abroad then I, I think right. I could just pick up and you know and what year did you uh, say this, this about
1: this, this challenge <sighs>
2: 2013 wow. so it's more than five <laughs> really, years. it's been more than five years yeah. right so yeah there must have been
1: something right and that's what we want to talk about so when you did that, that, that challenge for you, you went home, you had the parent trap, there's, emotional, uh, there's an emotional pull, whatever you call it. So you don't want to be part of the brain drain. Um, what did you start doing? Because it was basically bare bones, nothing much here to start with. Uh, yeah. how, how did you build that up? And was it thinking machines right, right, to get you or did you do a couple more stints first before you, you did thinking machines?
2: No, I did. I did one thing uh, in between that and Thinking Machines. So, um, um, I spent a year working with a really good friend of mine, who um, also um, um, also a Stanford grad, who uh, was a very good Android and iOS developer, and we. We just did consulting work for a year on anything, anything. We would tell people like any technology problem you have, just tell us what problems you have. Mm-hmm. And then between us, we had enough skills that we were like, okay, I, we bet we could like solve basically mm-hmm. any problem you had. And that was our way of learning. Um, the, the best way to learn what people want is to try to find problems that people will like pay you to solve Got it. And, and just solving them. Right. Cause um, I think that, um, you know, when you ask somebody in the hallway, um, what, what problem do you have? Or if you ask somebody in a survey, would you pay a hundred pesos per month for this? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of data isn't really reliable uh, no. because if you send a survey like that around, yeah your friend will say sure buddy like sure man i really like love and support you i definitely say i'll definitely check this survey or your tita says oh hi you're it looks like you're doing something interesting (laughs) okay yes check yeah but time comes and the and like the, the question you're really trying to ask is like is this service valuable mm. for somebody am I building a tool that you would pay money to use and if it's not me it's just a tool right right uh, that that survey doesn't help you like the right. only thing that like really really works is actually getting out there and they say I have problem X and you say here's a solution are you gonna commit to using it are you gonna change the way you make decisions are you gonna use this app every day of your of your freaking like work right. day <laughs> and then you get the truth Um. Now so I'm a- curious.
1: So before thinking machines, you were technically a pro- a freelance problem solver. I want to yeah, un- I want to understand problem what sol- problems were thrown at you at 2013? Because uh, so, again, that that's also the time where the startup community in the Philippines was starting to blossom. There was already a startup community. I, I felt like very it was very, a very generation
2: exactly. Right. I think that that was a generation of founders that uh yeah. interestingly uh, there's um not too many of them. Um, it, it, it was really interesting to see the outcomes um, six, seven years on because six, six years is not a lot of time, right? Yeah. In like real years, but in startup years, it's like a it's huge an eternity. Um, so back then, uh, uh, f- you know, uh, geeks on the beach uh, yep. was a was a pretty big thing. Uh, people were trying to figure out how to do uh, development, uh, web web development in the Philippines, and so trying to figure out. Um, what, what are homegrown Filipino companies uh, that could blossom? And things were mostly being done on a uh, desktop. Uh, right. You know, the well, the mobile experience was still a, a little bit behind. Yeah. Uh, so I remember there was um, Oliver Segovia's uh, e-commerce company, Ava. Ah. Uh, Zalora had just, uh was like just starting at the time. Yep. Um, Ron Hose, I met him when he was still backpacking before he decided to settle and wow. like and He was just like telling me this like hilarious story about how he like... Put a message somewhere. I forget like how he like he, on Facebook or something. He said if you want to buy bitcoins, like come with cash to this address. And like he <laughs> he, he was there and yeah yeah in the lobby of his building, I think. And like he was telling the story about like how uh, people would show up with like backpacks of cash to give right. him in exchange for like a physical Bitcoin wallet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, was, um, that was an interesting era. And so, then, uh, by the
1: way, if you want to find out exactly the, the small details, I've had both Ron Hose and Zalora on the, on the podcast. So just dig down. You oh, know, that's
2: awesome. That's awesome. There. So a if you want to find
1: out what exactly happened that transpired and mm-hmm. how those were built. But again, these were all, it feels so so much like Wild Wild West when you talk about it. Because so much has happened since 2013, 2012. So
2: much has you know, happened. but.
1: Those problems that were thrown at you, what did you realize? Like, holy shit, this is a wild wild west, or did, you, did um, you see opportunity?
2: I saw interesting opportunities, but it required us to change, right? So uh, maybe let me give you a few examples of uh, the things we did in that era. Okay. Um, so uh, we had built uh, we built a really fun. Our blog started first. Uh, the data visualization blog started first. Um, so did like really fun data visualizations uh, about. Uh, uh barangays in the Philippines um, hazard maps uh, the different languages we speak in the Philippines um, wow. I think we did one on like uh, the the elections uh, and um, we uh, worked with yeah we worked with a couple of news agencies at the time to like publish these wow. um, we did um, we also did that for American um, uh, news media I remember uh, we did uh, I, I was doing like the machine learning model and data scrapers for um, the unicorn uh, for Eileen Lee's uh, startup that was that had written the definitive definition nice. of like a unicorn. Um, and so, like, what are unicorn companies? Who starts them? We mm. made Snoop Dogg's Weed Experience application. Actually, it was pretty funny. Uh, we built a mobile app what? for Snoop. You were Snoop yeah.
1: Lion at that time. It wasn't even Snoop Dogg, by the
2: way. Oh yeah, that was hilarious. Especially <laughs> you since none fake of us. Was... <laughs> oh, no fake Jamaican accent. The funniest thing about building that um, that iOS app for him was that none of the team smoked weed. So we were like, I don't understand this user story, but I'll implement it. <laughs> um, oh, man, that's hilarious. So much fun. Um, and what I came to realize is that... Um, Every time we would build a machine learning model, uh, number one, I realized that I really didn't like iOS and uh, mobile Mm. app development. Like I really did not like developing for Android or iOS. Right. Uh, Number two, um, you can't just build uh, machine learning models because without data infrastructure, the machine learning model is just like a toy. You made a nice presentation, you showed it to like some nice like uh, managers, and then what, right? Like the follow through is not there. Um, So I realized that if you needed follow through, you needed to build like a whole data system you really needed that whole infrastructure um for it to um, become real if if the goal was to change how an organization does things you actually have to get pretty deep uh into, into into their tech right uh so yeah so i um My friend, uh, my friend is still running this like uh, freelance problem solving uh, Mm -hmm. uh, startup. Um, But I, um, I like um, sold out to him, and I said like, okay, dude, uh, I really want to do something that's purely focused on data technologies and and building data tech. Um, And and it's heartbreaking. Um, If if you have ever um, broken up with like a co-founder, somebody you work that closely with, it is it does feel like getting divorced. It really feels like getting divorced.
1: And my first startup died, so it's not just mm-hmm. getting divorced; it's really death. So, <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Lo- good luck. G- g- the, the experience of having to disappoint so many investors, users, employees, mm-hmm. dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I get what. It's a gut punch. I it's still feel punch. it till now. It's
2: emotional. It's very right. hard. Um, even when it's it's the best, it happens in like the best of ways, on the best of terms, like how our um, breakup wow. did, it still hurts, dude. Okay. <laughs> it still yep. really hurts. Uh, you're telling somebody uh, who you like speak to like eight, 12 hours a day yep. that, you know, you don't want to work together anymore. My God, what is that? Um, so, well, but I think it, it was um, good that it happened. Um, and then mm. I started thinking machines. Uh, from,
1: from that. Got it. Now, in that said, so now you're head honcho, and you said, all right, let's focus on data. What were the exact problems we were trying to solve at that time? And how did you build the team to build the thinking machines? Because, like what I said, you're completely right. In a game of AI, before we even talk about machine learning per se, it's all about data integrity and data structure, mm-hmm. right? If you have a shitty source, what are you going to feel the robots more? Garbage, for? In,
2: garbage huh? up, right?
1: Exactly. Gigo. <laughs> it's just one one more letter. It's gag already, but... To- <laughs> 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 I gotta use
0: that anymore. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, um, <laughs> at the end of the day, right? How, how, that's the first item on the list. What data and what type of data are we talking mm-hmm. about here? Right. And how did you build a company from that point? And what, what were the projects that you initially did?
2: Yeah. um, So we had, um, when we started, um, we were very much, um, the the core question is, how can we uh, demonstrate the value of uh, machine learning and like data AI technologies uh, to organizations? Because from the very start, it was very oriented around how do we help organizations make uh, good decisions, right? Um, And so our first clients um, were kind of you know, like it, it's really, I'm sure every startup founder who's ever come up here has told you that the, that it was incredibly hard to get their first clients and that they're so grateful and they remember exactly who yep, uh, gave who them a was, chance. How it was. Yeah, they remember exactly who. Um, same with me, right? Um, some very, um, very, really, people I deeply appreciate to this day gave us chances. Um, uh, one at the World Bank, a pretty visionary wow. economist at the World Bank. Um, a really great, like, marketing manager for um, um Again, like, um, uh, the editor-in-chief of the PCIJ gave us, like, a small contract, the Philippine Center for Investigative Journalism, right? Wow. Uh, they wanted to, us to do data storytelling with them. Um, Ayala Lan, another one of the marketing managers there, like, uh, gave us a shot. Uh, so, so, you know, like, those projects, we really um, bled over it. And we were like, okay, what will it take Uh, To solve this problem for you and we're not going to stop at oh this is no longer data science we won't do it anymore it's like no Um, what will it take to solve this problem and the problems truly truly arranged uh, for them Uh, so there's a lot of like data gathering there was a lot of Uh, Yeah, there was a lot of data uh, cleaning, a lot of like calling people on the ground and asking, what was your process for getting this piece of information? Um, And then uh, we built a lot of um, machine learning models, data stories, dashboards. Um, If you look back, if you scroll, if you go to the Thinking Machines blog website and scroll all the way back to our earliest, earliest, earliest case studies there, you can kind of you can see um, some of the work we did uh, for yeah, for like uh, power, for public health, for uh, um, for um, um, poverty um, analysis across the country. Yep, there's
1: a lot of stuff to digest. There's a about. lot. Of- yeah. We will put this this one. We put on the show notes. Okay, don't do
2: <laughs> So <laughs> see, see. if
1: you're driving, you're doing, you're in transit. Don't worry. Just click on hustleshare.com. Yeah. It's there. Okay,
2: it's there. Go. And um, that's how we also built the team out, right? Um, mm. My core advantage. So there were like five or six other data. You know, don't think that I was the only data person starting a data science company at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were maybe five or six. Uh, decent like. Um, groups that, you know, if you looked at us all from day one, you would give us like approximately equal chances of success. Mm. Um, But if you look now, I I really am like proud to say that uh, Thinking Machines has Uh, the strongest, we have built the coolest machine learning models. We are the only ones that have done like a very strong regional expansion. And we are, uh, we have a team that's um, built this biggest set of skills around data infrastructure and machine learning design and like a uh, end user uh, kind of, um, how how do end users experience AI um, and machine learning? Uh, But you really wouldn't have known uh, at the time. And I think all of us took different approaches to growing our teams, and it kind of comes—it kind of comes to that.
1: Mm-hmm. What did you do right, though? Do you think allowed you to scale faster? Because again, ma- machine learning models—if we live in the data—I mean, we'll, we live in the world of open source now, right? You know, pre- yeah. pretty much go to GitHub, whatever. fucking understand yeah. shit.
2: Import scikit-learn from exactly. scikit. Import,
1: you know, <laughs> Stack overflow, the whatever recursion. the fuck that is, right? You can you yeah. can find it, but at the end of the day, you can be given the same weapon. But if you don't know how to wield it and make use of it, it's, again, go again, right? If you don't know what to use that for, what did you do right that allowed you to be able to scale and also make it a profitable business? Because, yeah. again, data and speaking from example, when I was selling chatbots… First couple of years, I was like, "What is a chat box run?" I was like, "Dude, what is a chat box? Huh? Chat box? I don't sell chat boxes here, huh?" And so a lot of evangelization had to happen, and then when you find those people that are actually woke or actually understand, they're either hampered by their stack because mm-hmm. again they're probably on premise, mm-hmm. or or again there's so many freaking levels to get to that yes that it took forever to get the project started.
2: Yeah, that is so true. Um, I think the couple of things we did right were, um, um, number one, um, we have a very, very strong culture of teaching and learning because I am somebody who's very good at teaching and learning. So um, a lot of our competitors had founders who were not data professionals themselves, so they hadn't done the work before. Uh, They were smart; Uh, they read up on it, but they hadn't like done it. And so, you there's a lot of things you uh, miss when you haven't uh, done it before, Mm -hmm. Um, or they couldn't teach, right? They couldn't do it themselves, but they really couldn't cultivate a team around them. They kept insisting that they had to import foreign data scientists who could do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I don't think so. But you have to take a totally different approach um, if you're on growing a team. Um, And you also see it in our culture, right? Like uh, we are a a learning and teaching company. We blog very openly. We share our tools. Uh, We share a lot of our tools, not everything, but a lot of things we open source it. Uh, We really try to push for open data sets, uh, especially with our public sector engagements. And that's because we're not afraid of losing. Uh, We think that, I think that um, um, our market here is so early that to like learn and share that the victory of any other company in our space also helps us. It helps all. It helps all of us. It helps the whole data industry in the Philippines. So a lot of our um, competitors had more of a zero sum mentality of, you know, they'll, they'll ask you to sign an NDA before you even interview with them, right? Or mm. <laughs> they'll say, "You well, this is our secret sauce," and I'm like, "What?" From Psychic Learn, like right. import random forest course- <laughs> regression, right. right. <laughs> um so so they're focused on the wrong things as their strategic advantage um I, I think um so that's that's one the learning and teaching environment um mm-hmm. two i think is the um the fact that I wasn't thinking about how to scale maximally fast right away it it's um go slow to go fast uh, that's my personal philosophy right um a lot of people will want to raise money right away because that's what watching Silicon Valley, the TV show, tells you. Uh, yep. That's uh, the, the success. The examples of success around you are all about, uh, you know, you know, you raise a round. You get a lot of press. Mm. Uh, you get celebrated. You raise another round, even bigger round. You get even more celebrated. So you keep thinking about, like, what do I have to do to scale and raise? Um, my argument, my counter argument there is not every company – um, not every business should be a venture-backed business. And yeah. uh, some some are, some really should be. But yep. you have to be like really thoughtful about when you do and do not raise funding. Because mm-hmm. for a lot of friends I, I have in the US, um, and the lesson I learned the hard way when I was a college senior, mm-hmm. when you take that money, the best day of your life, the happiest day is the day you see the check hit your bank. Yep. That's the happiest. After and that- And then your you head
1: is on the guillotine. Back.
2: Right. And then every day is a struggle to keep that blade from coming down on your neck. Correct.
1: It's a guillotine game, man. That's what it is. And then a a new round just raises the the, the blade higher, higher. (laughs) but the guillotine is still there. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But you, sometimes it's really worth it. So it, it it depends on what kind of game you're playing. It depends. Like the, right. the true answer to like every startup question is it depends. Yeah. Um, for us, because the Philippines doesn't have a lot of trained talent, I made the bet that it's worth it to go slow to spend a couple of years getting this team um, really good to build up like a whole system, a whole cycle of tools, like internal um, expertise in both in different industries and in building different types of. Um, um, products in-house to, and like delivering them directly ourselves to the customers, right? That's, that's a lot of what we do these days. Um, so we've become very, very good at building data platforms. Um, and um, so for example, like one of the craziest things like we've done as professionals is like uh, um, we, we rebuilt or actually rebuilt uh, the department of Health's like public facing vaccine test tracker, dashboard in I think wow. the first iteration we turned around was like within 48 hours. Holy week. <gasps> I, holy week of last year, we get this phone call and it's like, Oh my God, you guys need us to do what? Um, and I, I know that I, I think someday people are going to make a documentary about this. And uh, when right. it's over, when it's over, over, over.
0: Right,
2: right. Uh, But, but I have to say, I, I do really respect that for all the things, uh, for all the many things that they could have done better Um, I really respect that the healthcare professionals in the Philippines really wanted to help people. They were willing to throw out and change a lot of the things they were doing and really humble themselves in order to do better, right? Like they had gone from being a team, the the Epidemiology Bureau at the Department of Health had gone from being a very small team of people who only get called out very rarely to being the most... Integral team. So mm-hmm. they had to, their Excel sheets, like they were tracking things with Excel sheets because at wow. the very start, because, we know, what do you track things on? But you can't encode 10,000 tests per day and the results and like whose hospital submitted what on Excel. Yeah. Like you really can't, you know, fully digitized system uh, to do that. So That's
1: amazing. That's and you were part of that in, in, in that 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 process because also the time was ticking. This pandemic ticking. is just, gut- just running amok. Yeah. right and, it's, it's and if you
2: don't have good data i mean it's such a clear example right if you don't have um if you don't have data on who has it and where you you just it's, it's like, like literally life and death it's literally life and death to know um in what um areas who who ha- who has covid where are they have they been contact traced like all these like basic ah. questions of is this not like data science in the sense that it's not Sorry, it is it is data science, but okay. it's not machine learning. You're not doing anything predictive. Oh. You're not doing anything fancy. Um, actually, I really respect. Um, there were a couple of um, health data people who um, uh, the Faster team out of Ateneo, and then uh, Dr. John Wong's team. Wow. Um, they they are professional. Um, epidemiologists who have the mathematical models for that. So I told my team, we're going to stay out of their way. We're going to enable them to do their best by making sure that anything, any piece of data that the government has is like stored, recorded precisely, logged precisely, disseminated clearly, and that uh, there's like a source of truth that kung may mali, may mali sa entry or may mali sa, walang mali sa system. So that's, that was like the mandate of everybody. Because um, there's, there's, honestly like a lot of um, on the ground um, challenges with dealing with the data of system.
1: because obviously that data is still recorded manually somehow.
2: Yeah, and um, sometimes like people don't report. <laughs> like we had some pretty funny incidents. Um, um, funny because you can't cry, right? You you just have to like laugh. Where. Yeah. Um, 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 sometimes I, I'm sure people notice this, right? Occasionally in the Department of Health uh, website, they'll do corrections and they'll say, uh, so these two people we thought were recovered, they're actually dead. Um, <laughs> oh, no. And, and it's because the doctor didn't notate in the system that they had died. So in the system, if you have had COVID for like more than a certain amount of time. Uh, they'll like tag you as like, okay, so you haven't died, which means you've uh, you're probably okay. Uh, you're probably uh. recovered, right? Mm-hmm. And uh doctor, yeah, so so things like that. That's why when companies come to me saying, you know, we want to innovate, we want to transform, I really come to them and say, Great, this means doing very humble data janitorial work. This means really investing in um your frontliners because you don't want to live in a world where you know, for every hour that your salesperson spends selling, they have to spend another hour filling out your stupid form for your stupid data system. Like that is a route to, uh, to bad, bad data. Because at the end, it's data isn't something that stands alone by itself. Data is a representation of how people behave, and it's a feedback loop, right? Uh, people generate data. Data informs people's actions. Those actions show back up in the data again, and it's this loop, this like really nice link of yep. humans plus machines. Uh, coming, coming together, yeah, and that's um, that's really important to build. So no matter what the technology is, right? So right now, my team, like we really uh, are focused on building things on the cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're Google Cloud Platform partners. We do a lot of work with Snowflake and on Amazon Web Services. But I, I keep telling my team that um, the tools keep changing with the times. Yep. Um, you know, Hadoop infrastructure. Sorry, I might be getting like too technical. No, <laughs> right it's now.
1: all good. Again, <laughs> that's what we wanted here. We wanted you to 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 anyway carry on
2: <laughs> No yeah uh,
1: google uh, cloud yep
2: um so so um maybe like five six years ago, um the big thing to do was to do like a Hadoop installation and you'd use like Apache spark um as your engine for doing data analysis, and that's pretty outmoded these days so there's like uh there's yeah. a totally different um, way of handling um um data processing at large scale, machine yeah. learning models at like large scale, data parallelization, and so on. Uh, but you have to keep learning, right? Like you have to keep learning the new tools as you go on. Uh, but what you take with you is an understanding of how people behave and how data systems behave. And that doesn't change. Like I um I I I saw the other day, really funnily, one of the first examples of human writing. One of the very, very earliest examples of human writing are right. these Sumerian cuneiform tablets that yep. have come out of where the earliest humans um, were in an, um, oh gosh, I can't remember. It's like modern day, like Iraq. Somewhere kind of in there, area, the crescent, like the fertile
1: crescent there.
2: Do you know what those guys were recording? Do you know what are on those tablets? records but, records of crops records of debts uh, records of how, what what kind of inventory did you have who did you give this grain to when are you going to get this oil shipment back those were the very first things people had recorded and i will bet you i will bet you money that if some 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 person from like ancient sumeria some clerk yeah. some data entry you we know you have know, to share you time data time and share time
1: further down <laughs>
2: <laughs> and meet with them, to,
1: yeah. right. and
2: and like I could magically talk to this person. I think <laughs> I would be able to understand their problems. I think wow. I I think they would have the same problems as somebody doing um, frontline sales for for I don't know uh, Procter and Gamble products. Somebody uh, selling uh, oh. electricity at Meralco, they'd get it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, because it's a tally, right? And these are the things you really keep safe because at the end of the day. These are the, again, life-altering um, records that impact yeah. not just you. It's not a diary in a freaking stone tablet, okay, or in fucking papyrus. These are, are, are records. These are your also. records of
2: human society. These are the exactly. records of how we behave with each other. Too. You know. But but you know what? With AI, that is actually really changing. There are some things coming with artificial intelligence that I think are very different from these data systems we used to have. All
1: right, now let's talk about that when we come back. So we have to take our second break, pa- second break, and then we talk come back. Let's talk about data and how you how Steph is actually making people make better decisions using machine learning and AI and how it actually works. We'll talk about them more after the break. has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes—all the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax-paying stress. All this for as low as five thousand pesos. Again, that's just five thousand pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit Sprout.EH Payroll-Starter-Monthly-5K, or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store, or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. hey hustlers i hope you're having a great 2024 so far as you know a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023 and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor Dragon Pay is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2023. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph That's dragonpay.ph Trust the pioneer, trust DragonPay. And we're back from the break. We're still with Staff C of Thinking Machines, who will now talk about AI. So we <laughs> built the whole narrative, you know. Uh, why, why, how she built uh, uh, the first part, We talked about how her journey was. Second part, we talked about how she built thinking machines. Now, now this part, I want to talk about AI and how impactful and how people don't understand that a lot of their decisions nowadays are actually being influenced heavily by AI. You have no fucking idea. So if if (laughs) if you are watching Black Mirror, and all these this weird documentation, documentation, docu- documentary in Netflix. That's the ugly part that we see because AI can be very beautiful as well. Now, talk about uh, uh, the, the things that you guys are working on at Steph and how powerful AI can be if used properly.
2: Yeah, okay, okay. So so earlier I was talking about half of what we did, right, which is building data systems. Mm-hmm. The other half of what we do is building uh, machine learning or, or AI applications on top of those data systems. Yes. Uh, so this is where the Philippines is kind of behind, right? Um, most of our clients who are in different countries, mm-hmm. uh, they already have their data system in place, meaning they've already gone through some kind of digital transformation. They already have... Uh, uh they have um they have a fully digital store of their interactions with their customers, yep. and they are able to use digital and automated means to touch those customers via SMS, email, their their app, their app, uh, and so on. Right, uh, and you need that data system to exist first before you can do any kind of AI, because that's where uh, AI AI is like eat data. Like they eat data, they need it, they they breathe it. Without it, they die. Mm-hmm. Um, so so AI systems. Um, modern AI systems are very, very interesting uh, because I think we're only at the first, uh, we're only at maybe like the second layer of maybe five or six, or like an infinite number of layers of, of AI maturity. Yep. Um, if you guys have watched... Her with hockey in Phoenix, right? There you go. That level of AI is like if that's the final level of AI, right? Yeah. If that's level, if if, skynet, levels, if you're a little
1: older, okay, whatever that is.
2: Look, well, I'm depressing naman skynet. Yeah, okay, eh, just kind of like Johansson <laughs> falling in okay, love, okay, like okay. with you. There yeah, you. that that maybe that's maybe like a nicer way of putting okay. it, right? Let's use um, the
1: nicer one. That's skynet. Will a, nice one, a nice one.
2: If that's level one hundred, um, we're maybe at like level five or six uh, today. Yep. Yep. And uh, where we are today is there's two types of. AI. AI models uh, that are um, uh, that people are thinking about and working on. Uh, One is perception. Um, So um, some AI models are very um, uh, mimic or augment our perception. So for example, object recognition, right? Um, That's the AI that if you open your phone And you um, look through your photos. And you type in the search. You search in beach. It'll pull up every beach photo you've ever had, even though you have never labeled them before. Uh, That's perception, right? It's seeing and it's categorizing. Um, The second one is cognition. So cognition is more of decision making and and more of humans thinking. So AIs mimic cognition by being trained on human data sets. So for example, a fraud detection model, right? Um, if you train it on many examples of what uh, humans have judged to be fraud or Mm -hmm. fraudulent in the past. Oh, um, the name of this account is RB01942229117772. You're like, oh, that that feels like a – and there's no profile picture. It's just like the default black box. So you're like, okay, that's more likely to be fake than that as a person, right? So you have to feed a model many, many examples of that so it can kind of mimic – it, it mimics right now we haven't gotten to the point where it's um, it can truly like think for itself but it can mimic mm-hmm. uh, human patterns and recognize
1: the patterns of, of, of all these data sets that, that you throw at it
2: right right and and that's perception also perception is also pattern recognition but uh, I've chosen to broke it out break it out okay. this way so that bottom uh, so that you can feel the the output of it right so some okay. types of machine learning models their output is uh, to perceive for you mm-hmm. sound and to like to perceive and clap and like tell you what is that sound? Is that a dog? Is mm-hmm. that like who's at your door? Oh. Is that uh is that uh uh your 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 kid, your mailman, uh mm-hmm. thief? Um, and then cognition is uh more of can we can we predict how much we'll sell here? Can we see if this is fraud? I mean, right. they're pretty closely interrelated, but that's uh roughly it. So, my my company we do a lot with perception models, right? Because Mm. in the Philippines, we don't have a lot of data. Um, So what we do is we use machine learning to pull structured data out of unstructured kind of mess. So mm. things like looking at all the sat, uh, looking at satellite imagery across all of the Philippines, and being able to identify where is every single road in the Philippines, to what extent is is this road built out? What does it tell you about the probable uh, wealth and the probable like addressable, uh, the addressable market in 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 some mm. some region, right? Uh, that's uh, something we do for both the public sector, so people interested in like uh, government development, or private yeah. sector people interested in uh, building infrastructure. And we do the same thing with documents, right? So mm. um, everything's PDFs in the Philippines. Like yes. if, you, if you request anything, you'll get a PDF. Or in hard copy.
0: What hard the copy.
2: So, yeah, right? Everything's hard copy or everything's PDF. So it's okay. Okay, we have to live in this system for now. So mm. how can we pull out the data that we need from mess, from all mm. sorts of mess? And then how do we take that mess and be able to... Um, so, we build, a, so we, we build machine learning models usually for big companies who have a lot of customers. So it's mostly about how do you segment the customers in the right way? How do you send the right things to the right people at the right time? How do you build new products in a way that shows your awareness of who the customers are? And we are always like augmenting. Um, that's what I like to do, right? My goal is not to replace focus group discussions. My goal is not to replace conversations. But my goal is to let you have the two halves of the equation. A physical, like a face to face conversation with the five people who you have time to talk to every day, who are your customers who you're trying to serve, and data on the hundred thousand others who are, you know, not your friends, who are not around you, who you're serving, but they live in a totally different place under totally different circumstances. Let me at least give you the data so you know that they exist, that they use whatever you're building, that you serve them also, so you can find them and help them.
1: That is amazing. Now, I want to understand. For these companies, and I, I'm I'm thinking as one company, like shoot, mm-hmm. I have some data. Say I'm part of this mega conglomerate, yeah. and I want to be able to you know execute on on what to do with this big chunk of mess that I'm I'm sitting <laughs> on. What's that process like? Mm. In in hey, hey step, I need help. I don't know what I need help with, yeah. but what do I do? Right, that's usually probably some some CTO or CIO that the, reaches out to you and has that very same conversation with you.
2: Oh, that's my favorite conversation to have, and I have it like a hundred times a year, right? Um, <laughs> so, no, it's fun. That's why I like this job. <laughs> mm. I just really like helping. You know what? If um if I were um um I I think that if I had a different profession, I would be like a psychotherapist. There you um, go, <laughs> helping there people. But their own lives, right?
1: <laughs> but uh, here you use data to, to, to st- slap it in front of them, like, here, yeah, we'll fucking make that decision. <laughs> right.
2: Well, yeah, if if, if, uh, if we were in a first world country, if the Philippines was like Sweden, I would totally be a psychotherapist because everybody's lives is like pretty great. The organizations make decent decisions <laughs> for everybody.
1: So like, here hey, it's mess on mess on mess. Here
2: it's like, oh my God, hello. <laughs> um, so so what do we do with the mess, right? So first, it's like figuring out, uh, um, where are you? Where is all your data? You know, just inventorying everything and like holding our hand, right? Because there's like a lot of anxiety and like stress around like what, what the hell is happening right. here also. And there's a lot of pull to buy the most expensive thing right away and hope that it solves your problems. But actually quite often it doesn't. Mm. Um so you can't buy your way out of your this mess, is what I tell people. You actually kind of have to work your way uh, out of this mess. So it's very much like Marie Kondo's style, right? Instead of, uh, does this data give you joy? This you know? <laughs> <laughs> is spark joy. What? I'm so sorry. It's well, yes. Joy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like, does this spark insight or is this just garbage, right? Because sometimes right. people store things. It's like, well, this is kind of invasive and you don't need it. So maybe we should just, you know. Do,
1: Throw it out. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Donate it somewhere. Just just okay, there's data privacy. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't throw out random data, please. Oh.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a it's a huge exercise on figuring out um what are the things you're doing inside the company now and where can data make you more efficient. So that's the first place we always start. Um so that usually involves building a data platform that usually involves uh, translating. You know, I have seen very, very, very impressive Excel macros um, that people, like, preserve and run and mm-hmm. um, have, like, held on to for the last, like, 10 years. And they get upset with us when we come in and say, like, can we please replace it? And they've actually, like, thrown out consultants before us who who try to replace what they do because, like, it's mm-hmm. they, they can't do it. So sometimes we come into these situa- situations where people have been hurt before. And yep. I really get it. I totally understand it. Um, and those people have done, like, magical, amazing work with a very few tools and resources. Mm. So the challenge is always to find who who is it in your organization with those um, who, who, unknown to you, has been holding up your whole analytics pipeline on the back of you know, their… Like the, Titan. Atlas, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Atlas, right? Like uh, holding… Atlas, you
1: know, yeah. or Titan, that. what the hell? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he is a um, Titan. Atlas is a Titan. Atlas right? is a Titan. Yeah.
2: Um, So figuring out who they are, figuring out what it is they're doing that is usually unofficial, and figuring out how to turn those things into automated, repeatable pipelines that actually takes the pressure off of the poor person who's been Mm. like... Maintaining this for a while, and if they go home or if they quit, like you're you're screwed as a company, and you don't even know it. If they're on vacation, you can't run like uh, you can't run your financial analysis. Um, and so we we work with these people to uh, kind of um, automate them, to scale them, to give them new uh, tools, to teach them how to write like SQL queries against like a big data set. Um, and we kind of get everybody to the place where um, if what you're doing requires looking, comparing two different documents all day every day. Can we can we make you a machine learning model that compares those two documents and every time it sees something that it's confused about, that's the only thing it shows you. Mm. Uh, can we can we do something like that? So So one is that that level of uh, making you more efficient and then two is starting to look at how can you use machine learning and data to serve your customers better. So really looking at being able to handle the long tail, right? That's what tech can mm. do for you, the long tail micro segments uh, who, like you were telling me, right, that n- now you have younger people listening to this podcast. But I'm sure like the our cohort is still there, right? Yep. And there's other cohorts of people. So how can you, without spending uh, that much more time yourself, how can you pinpoint which things could be most interesting to which people mm-hmm. and send them to like… Uh, send them a list of recommendations. It's like, hey, you probably want to listen to, like, Ron Hose's podcast. You want to listen to the Zolora podcast. Right. This like the Geeks on the Beach founder. These are these three mm-hmm. podcasts in this theme that you should listen to, right? Figuring yeah. out who that target segment is and sending them uh, things that are meant for them and building the connection with them that way. Got it. Um, so that's a... Uh, and by the time we get there, the companies are usually doing, like, really well. They've started to, like, truly become innovative, more mm. comfortable with risk. Um, senior people are more comfortable making decisions using data. Junior people are more comfortable speaking up and saying, hoi, boss, like,
0: don't that's listen to the your fraternity
2: said. brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's not what the data says. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah exactly. Absolutely. Um, and that really changes culture. And, and I think that's what I want at the end of the day. Like, I want us to live in a world where um, – yeah, where it's not just um the loudest person in the room, the oldest person in the room who gets to make the decision for all the rest of us who are maybe not even in the room, right? Mm. Uh how can how can we all uh live in a world where you know, maybe not every decision is the best, but at least it's not bad decision after bad right. decision after you bad did not decision. You didn't make
1: it out of your own <laughs> gut feel that's poor, probably poorly informed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Now, Steph, as much as I want to ask this you This is more. like
2: the longest podcast you've ever run. Like, let's stop, let's stop.
1: It doesn't matter because I love it because <laughs> it's something that, again, this is very unique and I'm glad you were here and again. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. It's
2: super fun to see what you're doing these days.
1: Appreciate it. Now, again, before I let you go, if someone is having the problem of a lifetime and sitting on a punch of stupid-ass data and doesn't know what to do with it, but understands and recognizes that maybe I need an intervention. Maybe I can make better decisions <laughs> with all this uh you know, freaking ancient data that I'm storing somewhere. How did they reach out to you and where do they go?
2: Um, just reach out to us. We like actually check the website all the time. Um so if you Google honestly, if you Google Thinking Machines Philippines, like you'll definitely we're like the first result. Uh, reach out to us. My email is Steph. STEF at uh, Thinking Machines. Um, so, um, and that's not a, uh, it's Thinking Machines with a dot before the es. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a Spanish domain because we thought it like looked cooler. uh <laughs> Sorry, so it's not. It's there's no dot com there. It's Steph at <laughs> Thinking Machines with a dot before the es. Espana. viva España, right there. Viva España. <laughs> <laughs> we have some history
1: yeah. with not good. Not good.
2: I love talking problems. So let's do it. There
1: you go. Before. I before somebody else, I'll probably take first tips after we do oh, this recording. Game, game, All right, game. but before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast after listening to it again. If you did say, or we did say, which I think we did say a lot of jargon, it's going to be the Hustle Share sh- uh, show notes on hustleshare.com. And don't forget, if you want to grow this community, we're also now doing a lot of interesting stuff as we grow Hustle Share on year three, oncoming year, year three. We're going to be doing that. Go, go to the Hustle Share community on Facebook and lastly we do still have a semblance of AI in this podcast we still have our chatbot a 3 year old fucking <laughs> chatbot at m.me hosted in your bedroom under no, your bed no bedroom. it's on-prem <laughs> just kidding
0: <laughs>
1: just kidding <laughs> m.me slash hustle share powered by chatbot. again Steph thank you very much thanks
2: for having me Ronster and thanks for having me hustle share community hope you enjoyed
1: I appreciate it. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.